The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's going on, everyone? It's the Keeper Cut Podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherlist Podcast Network. It is episode 63. Chad, I don't think I can think of any players numbered 63. We haven't done this in a while. Number 63. It's got to be like a reliever. Yeah. Sometime. Like best 63 lineman. MLB history. I'm going to look up best 63 in MLB history. We'll see what comes up. All right. While you do that, I'm going to introduce our guest today. We are honored to be joined by Matt Heckman. And you can follow him at Twitter on Twitter. And I'll announce this again later in the podcast at at Heckman with an A M A N underscore Matt one one five. Matt writes uh, for prospects worldwide. He does some prospect rankings and analysis. We're actually going to take a look at his most recent work for this episode. It's kind of our focus today. He also writes general fantasy baseball stuff as well as lineup analysis for fan tracks website we're all familiar with. And another thing we're going to talk about later today because our listener league number two that Matt is in is on fan tracks. But Matt, what's going on, man? Tell us about yourself. Fan of what team? What's going on? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I am a Philadelphia sports fan. All Philadelphia sports. I grew up in South Jersey, so right outside of Philly. Blessed to grow up and start watching baseball right when the Phillies got good in 2007. And then it's been all downhill after that for the most Cliff part. Cliff Lee. Um, Yes, Cliff Lee, Roy Halladay, Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, that entire era. And then they have not made the playoffs since. So <laughs> it's been a little bit of a drought. But yeah, and so now I'm working, or I do work for Prospects Worldwide. I do some prospect analysis with them. And then fan tracks. I'm doing lineup articles weekly. I do an AL lineup article and an NL lineup article. Nice. Awesome. So Chad, did we get to number 63? Yeah, we got we got a couple here. And while they are not necessarily like all-time greats, they are they are guys that between us we probably should have thought of. So uh-oh. One of them uh, hold, on. Uh, hold on. That means it's a Red Sox, right? So one of them is both a Red Sox and uh, a Guardian, but not nice. when they were Guardians. Oh man, I'm a, I'm at a loss. A, a starting pitcher, sinker baller, Paul Bird. No, do you remember Paul Bird? I do remember Paul Bird. Okay, sinker baller. I didn't know he was a Red Sox. I forgot he was a Red Sox. Yeah, he had a complete this guy. I know was a Red Sox. <laughs> uh, I I don't know unless Justin yeah. Masterson. Oh, wow. okay, yeah, that's a name. Yeah, there yeah. we go. And so this is I pulled up a random sporting news article that has the best all time MLB players for every jersey number. They actually put Rafael Betancourt. Another Cleveland pitcher. 
He was a reliever, very, very good reliever, but a a reliever, good enough reliever that he belongs above Justin Masterson. So really, take okay. that for what it's worth. <laughs> they also had Ryan Madsen as the other name. Oh wow, here. Ryan Madsen, so Philly fan, you'd remember Ryan Madsen, I think. Yeah, right? yeah. You yeah, got, I, lo- I don't know. How, yeah, I don't know how I forgot. You got all three of us covered. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Those all are right. the best sixty threes of all time, according to the Sporting News from like five years ago. So. All right, well, in, in my head, that sets a pretty low bar for this episode, but I'm going to change that and change it to a high bar because Matt has an interesting statistic that I was hoping to start today's episode talking about. I did a little bit of reading about it. His expected WRC plus. I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you, Matt, and get some some thoughts. How do you calculate this? What's it been good for? So on and so forth. Yeah, so I wanted to come up with a better way. We can look at BABIP all we want, but some players are on higher BABIPs than others. It can be a little difficult to tell if a player has been lucky or unlucky. And so I wanted to kind of come up with a better way to predict and look for different breakouts or different bus candidates for the upcoming year. And so I started just plugging in with linear regression. And I was working to see how different statistics, more sabermetric statistics, like on baseball savant, different things like that. Instead of obviously, if you have more home runs, you're going to have a higher WRC plus. That's kind of given. And so I just started testing out different statistics. And then I originally came up with five of them that had a good, strong, significant correlation to it. And it was the launch angle of a batter, the barrel percentage, the chase rate of a batter, sweet spot percentage, and the whiff rate. And that got me to about a 59% correlation to WRC+, plus, which I felt was good. It explained a lot of WRC+, plus, but it didn't explain the whole picture. I didn't want something that was just going to give me WRC+, plus because then that kind of defeats the purpose of what I was looking for. So after I kept looking at that, I actually use, I don't know if either of you are familiar with some of Chris Clegg's work on exit velocity percentiles. And so, because I tested exit velocity and max exit velocity, and with the other variables, neither one of those had a correlation to WRC+, but I was curious if one of the other percentiles did. And so I plugged away, most of them actually did, but the 65th percentile, for whatever reason, that had the strongest correlation with the other variables. And so I plugged that into... The equation also, and that got me to about 61% of WRC+. And so basically from that, I just use it to identify which hitters are lucky, unlucky. Obviously, some of those stats take a little bit to stabilize. I wrote an article a few weeks ago, I think the beginning of May, which was just too early for the article, really, on some of the hitters that might have been a little unlucky. It had Joey Gallo on it, Yasmani Grandal. Both of those guys still stink right now at least. So I'm planning on running it again. Yeah, my, my teams are well aware of the month. fact that Yasmani Grandal and Joey Gallo still stink. So I owned way too much Joey Gallo this year. I'm, uh, I owned a lot of Joey Gallo. I'm still buying in on Joey Gallo. I don't know if that's a mistake or not. I actually was like, I was looking at this article that you said from May and I was like, oh, okay, Gallo, that's fine. He'll, he'll, now you're, now you're <laughs> causing me well, I'm not. I'm. I have to run it again. He still showed up because I ran it a couple like a week ago, and I didn't post it anywhere. But he still showed up as one of the unluckier hitters. I actually just cut him in an auto new league. I got frustrated. I was watching. I forget which game, but I traded for him this off season for an eighteen dollar Joey Gallo, and then I got frustrated with him. I wanted the roster space for another guy. I'm high on Tyrone Taylor, and so. 
I ended up cutting gallo. But waiting for people to cut those gallows. That's what I've been doing is all the people <laughs> cutting the 18 to $20 gallows. I'm just scooping them up at like 10 to $15. And I don't know. Get me, get me to that 30 day mark and I will add him back at $9 or $10. Yeah. But we'll see if that happens. But I used XWRC Plus actually in the offseason to predict some breakouts. And the first breakout article I wrote was it had Andrew Vaughn, Ian Happ, and Max Kepler, who I own a lot of everywhere. And all three are off to really, really good starts this year. So I'm pretty excited about that. Obviously, it doesn't it doesn't account for if hitters make adjustments. Somebody I was very down on because of it was Jazz Chisholm as he's hit two monster home runs already today. But he's made some significant adjustments to the plate. So it can't account for that, but it can kind of tell you which hitters are. Just lucky. just giving Pete lucky. another opportunity to victory lap Jazz Chisholm. <laughs> I've been on the jazz train for a really long time, so I'm really kind of hoping it pans out. But bringing up the victory train, and, and I don't want to go too far from expected WRC plus, and maybe he comes up on this, but uh, Chad, I had to give you credit for Alejandro Kirk, who is just absolutely scorching. And I have to give you additional credit for not victory lapping that at all. You have not brought up Alejandro Kirk at all. So th- seeing his success, maybe he's a good case study. Is he a guy who looked like he was going to start tearing it up on the plate according to expected WRC plus? Yeah, I could take a look at that, actually. I can pull up an article. Because he has gotten so hot, he doesn't chase it all. You know, looking at the metrics that go into that, I think he would be a pretty interesting case study for it. But um, definitely one of Chad's boys there that has panned out. Luckily for us, Chad, in that League One, right? Because, woof, he's become like our second best player behind Acuna. (laughs) We we moved out of last place, though. We were were up to as as high as 10th a couple days ago. I saw that. I saw because we were flying up the standings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I just went to look, and Kirk, I guess, did not have 180 balls Ah, in play. That makes sense. Last year, and so I did not put him into my data sample when I was. That makes sense. But I could do an individual case study later in my. Yeah, I'd be interested. He just he just seems like the type that would fit. I don't know, fit this mold when looking at these yeah. statistics. But that is awesome stuff, Matt. Please continue to share that awesome work and and, and we'll be retweeting you out there. But I got to ask, I mean, I was going to ask about your odd new experience and I heard you, obviously, you cut Joey Gallo. Chad and I always <laughs> ask our guests, and that does include Chris Clegg, by the way, who we've had on the show in the past. What kind of interesting keeper leagues you play in? Do you play in any interesting keeper leagues? I mean, obviously, you're in, you're in league number two. We're well-versed in that one. Yeah. We love hearing the interesting rules and stuff that, that people play in. So is there anything you can think of? On is definitely my most unique. I would say that scoring. I play points, so I have, I'm in a head-to-head points league for that one. That's my main league. That's what I've been doing for years with some friends from home. So that's definitely the most interesting. We put a twist into it this offseason. And so a little bit before the keeper deadline, by the end of December, your roster has to be legal. You don't have to be finished cutting people, but we added that. So that way that kind of gets rid of some of the fluff that gets rid of. That way you're not just trying to trade people or texting the same people 10 times about guys that you're clearly going to cut. And so it kind of just opens up the free agent pool a little bit. So I kind of like that twist that we put That's in. So you, it's just like, like end of December or like mid-December or something? Just a, it's not a cut deadline, like you said. It's because you can still make cuts through January, but it's a, a get legal deadline. Interesting. Yes. You just have to have, your roster has to be legal. If we we're starting today, you could go in because that's after arbitration. That's after yeah. all of that. So yeah. Adding just- a twist to a format that already has so many twists and turns. I love it. That is definitely, <laughs> definitely interesting. Chad, your thoughts on that? Because you are the new 
OG here. Yeah, I, I like that concept. I think it like I love the idea that you give people time after the season to shed salary via trade, right? That all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, I've got a, mm-hmm. a sixty-five dollar Soto and I shouldn't have to cut him just to get legal like the day after the season ends, but maybe I can't afford to keep him. I'd like to shop him. I have time to do that. But like if I don't find something by mid-December, this idea of like, all right, quit trying to, like you said, stop texting me about your yeah. like overpriced <laughs> fluff that nobody wants. Just cut them. And it also creates a really interesting dynamic in in January where you have a really good sense of what the free agent pool is going to look like before you have to make your final cuts. So if you're really on the the fence about a guy and you're looking at him and you're like, oh man, I don't know, like, do I want to keep this like $22 Jonathan India or $25 Jonathan India, somewhere in that range he was getting, he was sort of borderline for me, knowing like, wow, a bunch of second basemen got cut is like, that's interesting data to have that usually you don't. And I don't know if it's necessarily like better or worse. Like there, there's a, there's sort of an interesting gameplay dynamic yeah, of trying to guess. Yeah. But it's sort of intriguing to have this idea of like, you, you get a little bit more data and everybody has a little bit more information to play with. And it's, I don't know. I, I like that concept. What I if anybody idea. want to try it? One of the best things about the fantasy season for me is the trade deadline. I play in a lot of head to head leagues. And so, you know, it's, it's competitive, a lot of rivalries in there. And that trade deadline is awesome. And the idea of ha- basically having one kind of, you know, in the off season, I think that's, that's pretty cool. So Matt, I want to start diving into your work. I was looking at your your top 115 dynasty prospects on prospects worldwide. And some names definitely stick out. I mean, I don't, I'm just going to be frank. I don't know enough about prospects to contest a list, right? But you're clearly going against the grain with some of these, which I love. I, li- I like seeing that. And one that stood out to me, and I'll, you can open it up to any of these if you want to talk about them. But one that definitely stood out to me was Josh Young. Is it Jung or Young? Am I saying that correctly? Young, Josh Young. Young. Okay. I think that's right. Yeah. Having him ninth, even after the labrum surgery. I mean, he was a highly rated prospect always, but that just kind of stood out to me. So any insight for, for people on, you know, rostering their Josh Young in their dynasty leagues? Yeah. So over the last week, I've actually been working on a little bit of an updated list. I'm going to try and update that list monthly and just keep it going. So I think I moved him down to 11th or something, but I think he's being overlooked mostly because there's a lot of uncertainty in prospects. Like you can chase the ceiling. And so I have Luciano right below him at 13. I got a question about that on Twitter yesterday, actually. And it's not that I think Young has a higher upside than Luciano. Luciano has a chance, 100th percentile outcome for each. Luciano has a chance to be a difference maker. But I'm not totally sold on Luciano. He had that rough part, rough season last year. He was good the year before. He's been good now. Um, guys i have him right around volpe volpe was amazing last year but he's gotten off to a slow start this year and so i'm just not totally sold on a lot of those guys where young was gonna start every day at third base for the rangers if he doesn't tear that labor i'm pretty sure or at least he'd be up early and so i think there's still a good chance that he comes back this year and even if he plays he'll be back next year and so him not playing this year hurts a little bit or most of this year hurts a little bit, but a lot of those guys aren't going to be playing a lot. I still, I moved Grayson Rodriguez down a couple because of the injury news from like one to three, I think, but I couldn't necessarily justify moving him down farther either just because he's injured. 
when I don't, I'm not sold on Noel V. Marte, who I have right around there. Robert Hassel's breaking out this year for San Diego, but I'm not totally sold on some of those guys. So just because they're hurt, the other prospects aren't going to be called up right away, I feel like. So I got to ask, you mentioned Grayson Rodriguez, and the, the thing that jumped out at me about this list was you have four pitchers in your top seven. And I tend to like fade pitching prospects, which is not something that makes me special or unique, right? I'm not alone in that. So I was really interested to yeah. see that, like, mm-hmm. you know, again, you, you said with the injury, you've moved Grayson Rodriguez down, but at least looking at this, you got, you know, hit, he's number one. Uh, yeah. You got Max Meyer, number five, Taj Bradley, number six, and Daniel Espino, number seven. Daniel Espino should be number yeah. one because he's the best. But <laughs> in general, I like, I look at this as I'm like, wow, that is, those are high rankings on those pitchers. And there's so much uncertainty with pitching that comes up. But I mean, with the injury, you're moving Grayson down from one to three. You're, you're obviously pretty confident in those, you know, having him in your top five. So talk to me a little about why you've got so many pitchers so high up and why you think that's the right place to put those guys. I think that there are certain hitters that you can always justify putting above. First off, I love Taj Bradley. I own him in our keeper cut listener league. He is one of my, I'm way higher. I have him at seven, like you said. That is way higher than any other ranking you're going to find. I think those guys are special. I think if I'm going to rank you that high, you have to have a certain level of control and strikeout ability. And so even though it's really high, I think that all of those guys, or at least have elite characteristics. Grayson Rodriguez in AAA this year had a 12.86K per nine. 2.25 walk for nine. He was essentially untouchable there. And so even with the volatility of pitching, I just don't know. Looking at the guys, some of the guys below him, Noel V. Marte, can I really justify putting Marte above him? Do I think Marte has a higher success rate in the majors at this point? I'm not sure he does. And so I think Grayson is as close to a sure bet as they're going to be. Guys like Bradley, Espino, Mayer, I don't think that Volpe, I can justify necessarily putting above him just yet. I just moved in this one. I moved Robert Hassel up above Mayor Bradley and Espino because I think he's really showing to be the real deal out there. But that's kind of why I think that they possess multiple characteristics. They don't just possess a high strikeout rate. I know a lot of times people see the high strikeout rate in the minors. Uh, Kyle Harrison's a name that sticks out to me from San Francisco who has an incredible strikeout rate, but walks a ton of batters, DL Hall for Baltimore. And so I'm just not sure. I'm not just chasing strikeout rates there, but if you possess pitches, the control, the strikeout stuff, I think you're just as deserving as a top 10 spot as a hitter is. So Matt, I'm I'm curious because this is a drum I've been beating for a few years, really since 2020, because in 2019, we had some elite prospect breakouts. I mean, Jordan Alvarez didn't make an out his rookie season. But since then, (laughs) hitter prospects, the highly rated ones, the ones that don't have as much esteem, it seems like all of them, except the real freaks, I guess, like maybe Julio Rodriguez, even though the beginning, the very beginning was a little iffy. He's obviously turned Mm -hmm. into a stud. They have struggled, all of them. It feels like every single one of them. And you think that to kind of go back to Chad's question is impacting pushing the pitchers up because the hitters are all of a sudden becoming a little bit hard to predict, at least in the early going in those first couple of years. I think 
Definitely. I think you see guys come up like Shane Boz last year, and he was electric right out of the gate. Uh, George Kirby's been good this year. It hasn't all been good, but he's been as good as any hitter that has been, really. Contreras for Pittsburgh, I put out a tweet about him yesterday. His stuff has been electric. So you're seeing these pitchers come up, and they have just as high of a success rate, like you were saying, as some of the hitters have lately. And so I think with rankings... A lot of times after Acuna and, I mean, Vladdy struggled a little bit when he debuted, but Acuna and Soto, it kind of bumped up the ceiling hitters a lot. And people wanted to chase that upside, which, I mean, it's hard not to. You see guys just dominating Corbin Carroll right now in AAA, and it's like he's going to be the next Ronald Acuna, even though their traits aren't similar. But I don't think there's that much more volatility with pitchers than hitters necessarily. So I think that's exactly why I have some hitters way higher. Now I have to ask because you brought him up, Shane Boz, he's coming back. If he was going to be ranked on this, where would he be? One. Okay, awesome. Because I have him in my, my favorite league I and I, I just, I wanted to hear that. So Chad, any thoughts on, on any of that, especially in regards to the, you know, the hitters kind of struggling, something you and I talk about a lot. I love how you're just like, fishing for can you tell me my team is going to be okay by giving me <laughs> yeah that's exactly what that was <laughs> <For sure>. yeah. <laughs> don't you don't you have him in keeper cut i got him like everywhere like i think we have him yeah. actually in i i have him in both keeper cut leagues because chad and i think i think we drafted him we, we lost our whole rotation yeah. after like the eighth round it was like flaherty and boz and sale or something yeah know. i've got them in i've got them in tgfbi as well flaherty <laughs> and boz both so super fun i wanted to talk about quickly about since you're talking about pitchers and and you know looking at K rates and walk rates. One of the guys who you have pretty high on your list, I think some in your top 25 or close to your top 25, who I'll be honest, I've n- I don't understand the, the hype on this guy. That's Cade Cavalli, the Nationals. Oh, I just put out a tweet about him today, too, actually. So, I mean, I, like, <laughs> I'm i glad you brought him up. I'll tell you, like, let, let me tell you what I see with him, right? Like last year, mm-hmm. you know, he pitched in in high a very well but fine he was 22 he pitched well in high a good for him he moved up to double a and the strikeouts were still there but the walks were through the roof and they kept they got him all the way up to triple a and the strikeouts like he's now been in triple a for 72 innings so that i also don't want to i don't want to overstate this isn't like he's you know been there for 200 innings and it is but yeah. 72 innings and his triple a strikeout rate is you know he's under a strikeout per inning and over four walks per nine. That to me, it's like I don't I don't see anything to get excited about. But and you're not alone in ranking him highly, right? So I'm I'm just curious, like what am I missing? What what am I not seeing that that's keeping him up on these lists? Yeah, so I mean I've seen a lot of people move him down, and I was actually afraid when I first put out this list, I had him a little too high because I was really in on him when he was in Double A. I think he has a really good changeup. And so I think that pairs well with his fastball. But over his last three starts, he has a 19 innings. I just think he's taking a little bit longer to develop. I think people were rushing to see the results. Last three starts, 0.95 ERA, 0.74 whip. He's got a strikeout rate over 29%. The walks are down below 9%. I think he's coming around. And so he struggled in AAA. I think the jump last season, I think the Nationals got aggressive with him. I think they pushed him from high A, the double A, all the way up to triple A in a few months. 
And I don't think he was ready for that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like progression, I hear people say all the time, it's not always linear with these prospects. Sometimes they're going to hit bumps in the road and they're going to have to figure themselves out. But I think you saw the ceiling in last year in high A, 15.71K per nine, 2.66 walk per nine. I'm not saying that's going to stick, but I think he's starting to figure that out again. He's adjusting to some of the more higher competition. And you've really started to see it over these last few starts in AAA. I mean, four of his last five starts in AAA have been really good. He had a clunker in there, 0.2 innings, five earned runs. But I still think he's got high upside. He doesn't have that ace upside like some of the guys above him, Abel, Hank Leiter still does, Bradley Espino. But I think he has a solid mid of middle of the rotation ceiling so he's not my favorite guy anymore but i do think he's adjusting yeah i mean looking at his last two starts 14 innings 16 strikeouts only three walks is you know that's that's a big turnaround from where he was before so all right i'll give him another look i'll wait i'll wait just be a little patient and (laughs) if he stinks in the next month We'll drop him off, but I think he's coming around. I think I think we'll see him in the big leagues this year. In September, probably, I think he debuts in the big leagues. You're a mind reader. That was going to be my, my next question. When do you think we actually see him? Matt, I have to ask because it obviously stood out to me as a Red Sox fan. So for folks who don't know, I mean, Nick York kind of came out of, he didn't come out of nowhere. He was a highly rated high school prospect. And us in Boston are used to Bill Belichick. Instead of drafting like a world-class wide receiver, he will reach four rounds to draft the left tackle for some Division three school. When Red Sox fans saw that Heim Bloom drafted Nick York, there was a little bit of a vitriolic reaction that was like, who? What's going on? We're taking some kid out of high school. What's, what's going on here? And last season, he was unbelievable. Last season in A ball, he's, he's he had three twenty three. He had ten homers, forty seven RBI. I mean, if you if you add up his two numbers between high A and low A, I mean, it was even better. He didn't slow down when he when he got promoted to high A, but he has this year, and you've got him all the way at fourteen. So, what are the skills you're seeing with Nick York? Why should folks who got him in Dynasty be excited and be holding on despite the sub, sub seven hundred OPS this season? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, he's going to drop in the next ranking list I have. Not a crazy amount. He's going to be outside of the top 20. Okay. I just think some guys passed him. But he's got, scouts have never been questioning his hit tool. He's going to hit. And I know he's gotten off to a slower start this year. But his is below 300, He, which I know is still not bad necessarily. But for the minors, that's usually... A little bit low, especially for first-round talent. I think he's got a great hit tool. I like how he his swinging straight crate's not bad. He's got good plate discipline. I think that's important when you're looking for a player that's going to develop. He's shown flashes already of power. He's shown flashes of his ability to hit. I think the plate discipline's important because that'll at least give him a floor, even if he's he's not going to hit 200 and strike out 30% of the time. That seems pretty unrealistic for him. So that at least gives him a floor. And then, I mean, he flashed the power last year, like you were saying, in the minors. 14 home runs between both levels. And he's not even supposed to have that much power. And he dominated, if I'm not mistaken, in the Arizona Fall League, too, this year. And so I'm still high on Nick York. I think I would still rank him as my top second baseman. Oh, wow. 
in terms of prospects. I mean, second baseman, especially for ones that haven't debuted, it's thin. Um, As always, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, but I like him. Chad, let me ask you. I mean, a prospect like Nick York, you're in an odd new league. He's probably available and you probably could throw a dollar at him. He's years away and he's struggling. What is the what is the situation your roster has to be in to throw a dollar at Nick York? Honestly, I'm more likely to throw a dollar at Nick York in a situation where I'm competing and have an empty roster spot that I don't know what to do with and just don't mind burning the dollar on him and seeing if I can trade him. Because uh-huh. like I'm not going to sit on him. Like In a rebuild, I have no interest in Nick York because I'm not going to sit on him long enough for him to impact my team. You pay a dollar from this year and two dollars next year and three dollars the year after that, and then he debuts, and you get him for like five dollars the year after he debuts before he really has an impact on your team. And now you've spent eight, ten, eleven dollars on him over like a four-year period, plus sat on a you know a roster spot that whole time before he really has an impact. And if that like third year he comes up and tears things up for a month or two. It's not enough to help your team, but it is enough that he'll get hit with a bunch of arbitration and he'll be too expensive for you to keep anyways. And so all that is just, I, I have no interest in sitting on guy that long. I want to know that they're going to debut like by late next season, basically. Like in a rebuild, that's what I'm looking for. So anyone who's further away than that, basically anyone in A-ball right now, I'm probably not going to touch. There are some cases where like a guy's in A-ball, but they were you know, a college draftee. And so they may move quickly or something like that. But 20 year old in high A struggling a little bit, just he's got to figure out high A, then he's have to move up to double A. He's gonna have a full season of time between double A and triple A most likely. Like, I just don't think we see him until, you know, late 2024. Sure. Well, I was going to say, it, it It just reminds me of what's going on with Noel V. Marte. Now he's obviously a much higher rated prospect than Nick York, but I'm looking now, Noel B. Marte is rostered in 84% of odd new leagues. That's a lot. Is that a mistake? Guess how, guess how much he is rostered for in my 10-team points league. Uh, I'm going to guess it's five bucks. Ten. That, see, that's... He went He went at auction for $8 last In a 10-team points league? Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like that manager, they spent $8 on him last year. They're going to spend $10 on him this year. So that's 18 already. And now they're going to they're, they're going to go at least another full season, right? Because he's he's also like he got pushed to high A last year. He fell off when he hit high A. He has not really he's he's I shouldn't say he hasn't grown because he has. His perfor- his overall I think line his, I think his but. raw talent I think his raw talent's elite still because yeah, I have yeah. him ranked really high, but it's so yeah, it's incredibly. I'm talking just timeline though, right? I'm just saying from yeah. a timeline perspective, like let's say he starts to really turn things around and perform better at high A now. Maybe he gets pushed to double A this year, and then maybe he does have a shot to debut next year, but it's gonna be late next year, and I think that's optimistic. And so I just yeah, Marte at least feels like. I don't know. Marte feels closer to me than York, but maybe that's not fair. Maybe it's more, maybe it's more accurate to say I think Marte has more upside than York, and because of that, I could see being more willing to take the risk on a multi-year project, but not certainly at eight to ten dollars, <laughs> and probably so, not even at one. 
<laughs> Matt, this early in a player's career, how much does it matter to you that, for example, Noel V. Marte is currently in an organization that seems to be pretty aggressive with their prospects, right? Kelnick and Rodriguez and Kirby, whereas York is in an organization that currently has one of the best shortstops and one of the best second basemen in baseball, and they typically do not call their prospects. I mean, what more does Jaron Duran have to do to prove he's better than Jackie Bradley Jr.? I don't know, but we just <laughs> right about that, that weekly. <laughs> I bet. Yes. And yet right back down to AAA he goes. So does that matter to you at all when making these rankings or evaluating what prospects you're going to invest in? Or is that, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Especially for guys a little that bit, young. a little bit. I think it helps more of a tiebreaker. Just like I think if an organization has a strong track record of developing players, that goes a little bit of a tiebreaker. Like the Marlins right now have been developing a lot of pitchers. They've been really good with pitchers. That helps the mayor. That helps Yuri Perez. That helps them kind of move a little bit higher. Um, but Nick York a little bit. It, he could get traded though. The Red Sox could go all in, and he could get traded to Oakland or something like that all of a sudden. And so it it factors in not a crazy amount, I'd say. And I got to say, another one of the organizations that develops pitching is what organization, Chad? I, you know, I, I'm trying to think of it. There's there are some organizations that do a good job <laughs> with that. So I'm just I'm just scanning through the top of Matt's list here, and Daniel Espino's name sticks out. So I wonder if he's getting oh. a little boost for his organization. <laughs> I, I, if you just remind me where he, he pitches, absolutely does. <laughs> Cleveland that, Guardians. <laughs> yeah, that that rotation in Double A. This is really fun. I was, <laughs> I, I was at a. I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that I was at a, a bachelor party with a bunch of friends from high school and everyone was asking me about, you know, my, my opinion on the, the guardian's future. And I was like, any of you who are still in Cleveland should drive down to Akron just like any night and watch any of the pitchers in that double a rotation. Cause it is just such a good rotation right now. Bino's obviously the, the headliner there, but Joey Cantillo's Logan been great. Allen. Logan Allen's been great. There's a couple others. Curry. Yeah. I mean, it's just been there. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, I think I have I have Espino in my top one fifteen. I have Curry. I have Allen. I have Gavin Williams. He's in high A right now for them. Cody. Yeah, he Morris. should be joining that double A rotation before too long, I would hope. But yeah, they got a lot. Well, there's another pitcher I do want to ask you about, but first we do have to take a break to hear from our sponsor. We will be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show Welcome back, everybody. We are joined by Matt Heckman today. We're breaking down prospects, and we just got done talking about some guardians. And Chad really wanted to continue that conversation, but we had to jump to a break. But I'm going to go back to a guardian. He's not a prospect, but he recently was a prospect. And it's just a player I wanted to ask Chad about, and I'd love to hear from Matt as well, because 
I don't know what to do with this player. There's a guardian who currently has a whip of 0.86, an ERA of 3.10. But if you look at his StatCast page, ugh, it's not that great. And then look at how many home runs Tristan McKenzie has given up over his last few starts. It's starting to get kind of ugly. He gave up three home runs to the Orioles uh, the other night on June 4th, then two, then one, then two. So in his last four starts, he's given up eight home runs. Chad, Matt, whoever wants to take it, I guess, Chad, I can give you your guardians first if you want. Can you defend Tristan McKenzie or convince me that I should move on from him right now? Because I am at a loss. I don't know that I would move on from him. I mean, I guess it depends what you can get for him, right? But I, I do think he is a he he is an interesting candidate as a sell high. His underlying numbers don't really fully support the performance he's he's put together to date. He's got a 175 Babbitt against. That'll cure a lot of problems. And and he is, you know, for a guy who's got legitimately nasty stuff, his strikeout rate this year is pretty pedestrian, right? 22.3%, 7.6 strikeouts per nine innings. His walk rate is better. I mean, it's 7.3% walk rate, 2.48 walks per nine. Like those are not bad numbers at all, but they're not low enough to make up for sort of the lack of strikeouts. And, you know, he, he went through a stretch earlier this year where he had, he had three straight starts against at the angels when the angels were good before they turned into terrible at Oakland, who was never good and versus Toronto. So two tough matchups, one not so tough matchup, but over those three matchups, he had 19 strikeouts and three walks and 18 innings. And I really felt like he was turning a corner. And then in his four starts since then, he's got 19 strikeouts and seven walks in 28 and two thirds innings. And so it just strikeout rate has gotten way too low. And the walk rate has not sort of come down with it. It's sort of right where it was. And it's, yeah, I mean, I would be nervous about him too. I, I think with him, you're you're betting on the talent because the talent is, I don't know, Matt's more a prospect expert, so maybe he feels differently. But I think the talent's pretty legit. So yes, I think if you could sell, if somebody wants to pay for that ERA and whip where they are right now, sure, you could sell. But otherwise, I think you're, sticking with him in the hopes that the skills catch up a bit to the ERA and that as things level out, they level out in the middle instead of leveling out at his current like FIP, for example. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore with what Chad said. I actually wrote in like a My Guys piece this offseason for fan tracks. He was one of my two pitchers that I put. I wrote a detailed report on him a little bit in that. And he changed his mechanics when he came back. And he put more bend in his leg and he kind of tightened his rotation. And then you saw the numbers last year during the second half. And so I'm curious if I went and looked, because I have not, even though I own him in a lot of le- in multiple leagues. If I went back and I looked at those starts that Chad mentioned against the Angels, Blue Jays, and Athletics, if his rotation changed at all, if he regressed. Because the biggest thing I noticed was his walk rate was significantly lower after he switched his mechanics around. And that walk rate's still there. And like Chad was saying, his stuff is nasty. He has much better. He should be striking out way more hitters. So I'm wondering if it's just putting it all together. He's gotten the walk rate under control. Now he's got to strike people out. 
And I'm curious if he can develop that or if it's one or the other, if you're either going to get five walk per nine, Tristan McKenzie with 10 Ks per nine, or if he can find some balance. I think I agree with Chad. Yeah, he's just been sort of streaky like this. Like you talked about the second half last year and, you know, like from August, his starting August 1st, August 5th really was his first start in August. Through the middle of September, he had seven starts where he had a 9.39 K per nine and a 0.98 walk per nine. But then he finished the season with three starts with a 7.59 K per nine and a 6.75 walk per nine. It's like, he seems to like, he seems to lose it a lot. He seems to like find it and put it together and put together these sort of brilliant stretches and then really struggle. And and I'm not sure what it's going to take for him to break that cycle and just sort of become the ace that I think he's capable of being. Now, this is where Otnew 4x4 just just has snuck up on me this year. So as folks know, especially if you're in the league, our Otnew Keeper Cut League is 4x4. And one of the categories for that is home runs per nine. And I knew that was going to be a problem when I drafted Lucas Giolito. Or I, I should say, when I won Lucas Giolito at auction for 20 bucks, I felt like even at 20 bucks, it's Lucas Giolito. That's going to be a good haul. He's averaging 1.86 home runs per night, which is a lot. Now, all of a sudden, McKenzie's having this massive issue. I mean, you guys tell me, Tristan McKenzie at six bucks in four by four. Is that as much of a bargain as I thought it was during the first month of the season? Am I still sitting on something kind of nice here? Or is this category going to sneak up on me and be an issue? Matt, you can take that one. I think it could be a little bit of an issue. I own him at, how much I own him at? $6 in my Otnu points league so i mean home runs are an issue there not as big as in four by four but if that's a category you're counting on i don't know if it's a bad deal on tristan mckenzie at six dollars i don't think it's necessarily a good deal like you were thinking after his first few starts when he was dominating or at least pitching well i think it's just kind of he is an average player at six dollars you're He's not killing your team at $6 necessarily, but I don't think you're going to get the surplus because he's going to hurt you in that category every week when he pitches, probably. He's almost matchup dependent, as I say, that after he gave up three home runs against the Orioles. So, Unfortunately, yeah, that's that's the reality. Yeah. And, and most of my rotation actually is pretty matchup dependent in this format. Well, we're hitting around the 43-minute mark, and with three, we got a quarter of our league in the keeper cut league number two the head-to-head league here and i thought it would be fun thought it'd be a good idea to kind of give everybody like a rundown where's your team at you know what are you looking to do not necessarily you know who are you looking to pick up or anything like that we don't want to release state secrets here but i'm enjoying this league it's it's been a good time i i can say that it's nice as uh to play in a keeper league and not be worried about keepers throughout the season i just you know nine keepers it's a lot i know i'll figure it out when we get there but it's not really on my my radar at the moment. So Matt, let me start with you. I hope you're enjoying the league. How's the team look? You have uh, a great opponent this week. Yes, I get the honor of facing Pete this week. He's probably going to destroy me. I don't know. I just traded. I'm sure you guys saw for Urias and Kimbrel. I felt like I was I was leading the league in saves. It wasn't Roto though. And there were a couple weeks, especially when Hayter was on the paternity list and Romano was a little banged up. That was a category I didn't want to lose. I know Syndergaard pitched well too last night, but I was skeptical of Syndergaard moving forward. So I was okay 
just to explain for the listeners, I gave up Syndergaard and I gave up Jock Patterson actually for Arias and Kimbrel. I have Hader and Romano, so I felt like I really just wanted to solidify that save category. Pitching is my strong suit for my team. I won all five pitching categories last week and lost all five hitting categories. So I'm trying to get my team into the place where I can win one or two hitting categories, maybe a third, and then really dominate in pitching, hopefully get the Grom back at some point. That hurt him going down as soon as the season started. So I went so heavy on pitching early. And then now Freddie Peralta's hurt. That was another reason I traded for Urias. I felt like I needed to solidify that a little bit. And I thought he could be a good buy low candidate since the strikeouts haven't really popped up at all this year. But yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. It's been a blast. Good. I'm, I'm glad. And that does seem like a great buy low opportunity on Julio Urias. And Chad, I'm curious if you agree with me. I mean, like, I know he hasn't quite been what people drafted him to be, but the numbers still look good. Are you still in on Julio? Yeah, I am. And I, I do like that as a buy low. He seems like a good guy to be be targeting right now. Um, I probably should have been looking at him because I feel like I thought my pitching would be good. And guys who I counted on to, to do things are not doing the things I counted on them to do. And it's it's been sort of up, or, up and down. My bigger issue with my team, though, has been my offense. So I'm okay having missed out on Urias because while I do like that buy, I think... I think I have bigger issues. <laughs> Chad, that's kind of surprising to me because you usually draft hitting pretty heavily. Was that not your strategy? I mean, I know we talked strategy in the draft, obviously, months ago, but this has to be a rarity for you. Yeah, it is. I, I think I did draft more pitching than I normally would, but I also part of my bigger issue is like I drafted. Look, at this was Logan Webb, my first pitching pick, and he's been fine. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been what I thought he would be. You know, I took Tyler Molly at some point and he's been awful. And then I've got a bunch of other guys who've just been sort of okay. Uh, and so it's a, it's up or down, I guess. Like I said, I, I like looking at my pitching, part of my problem with my pitching might be that I'm using four relievers and so, or five, no, four relievers. I have four relievers going. And so I may be just under throwing, just not getting enough innings out there. But like I took Gallon. I didn't pay a lot for him, but I took him. That's been good. I took Montas, who I've always been high on, and he's been good. Aaron Ashby's been very good for me. Sean Manai has been fine, but maybe not quite what I paid for. And I haven't, I just haven't made a lot of moves either. I, I've just, like, I've, I think Michael Lorenzen's really the only pitcher I've picked up. And he's been fine, but like, I, I've just, I've done very little. My hitting, you know, Kyle Tucker was off to a slow start, Giancarlo Stanton was hurt. Cedric Mullins has been somewhat productive, but certainly not what I hoped he would be. Bo Bichette got off to a slow start. Marcus Simeon got off to a slow start. My catching situation has been a mess, just an utter and complete mess. <laughs> Kiebert Ruiz hasn't done what I thought. Carson Kelly got hurt and hasn't been good. Yeah, I just I feel like I might my offense should be better than it is. Like I like a lot of the pieces I have in my offense, but like I need to get Brandon Belt back. I need to get Willie Adamas back. I need to get Taylor Ward back. And then I've got guys who then I think I've got something going. It just I don't know. I, I feel like this whole team is just like I'm very like meh about this team. Like as I read through the names, I'm like, this guy's been fine, but I'm not really happy with him. This guy's been okay, but it's not really what I expected. And like, I don't know. There's no one on this team and I'm like, yeah, that was a good pick. 
<laughs> I think a lot of people are feeling that way about their offenses. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, like it's it. That's how I feel. In, in almost all my leagues, too. You know, actually, this is probably the one league where I feel great about my offense because I roster a guy by the name of Aaron Judge who homered again. I, I don't even want to look. He probably has two home runs tonight, but he already has one. My strategy going into this draft was just draft power. I, I usually can figure out my pitching, but if my hitting gets behind, then it's it's usually a struggle. And so I took Alonzo, Vlad, and, and Judge three of the first four rounds, and, and that's worked out great. So and I ended up you know, with Kyle Wright and a couple of other guys that I got lucky with in free agency and feel pretty good about it. But Matt, there's a player I wanted to ask you about because you brought him up earlier and I was going to ask you because you said you really like him and I noticed you're rostering him in this league and I imagine you're rostering him in most of your leagues and that's Tyrone Taylor. So can you tell folks a little bit about him? Because he's a guy that Chad and I have not talked about. Chad, I don't think we've talked about Tyrone Taylor once and I'm seeing him on Matt's roster here and I'd love to see what he loves about him so much. I just think he's a solid player. I think he's got a good bat and I just think he hasn't gotten exactly an opportunity, especially early this season. He was kind of a forgotten man, especially when they signed McCutcheon, which I thought was strange. I watched McCutcheon play the last several years in Philly, and he's a platoon bat at this point in his career. He hit lefties well. He can't hit righties. He just He's not good against them. And so I wrote a while ago about players that were going to benefit from the DH. I thought Taylor was definitely going to benefit from it. I thought he was going to be their designated hitter. And then he kind of just got pushed to the side. And then Renfro got hurt and McCutcheon got on the COVID list and Kane struggled. And then all of a sudden, Tyron Taylor's been playing every day. He posts above average barrel rates, good sweet spot percentage. He doesn't whiff a lot, I don't think. Now 24.1%. He makes above average zone contact, I think. And he's hitting anywhere from second to fifth most days, sixth, I guess in that Milwaukee lineup. So hitting behind or in front of Tellez. I know Christian Yelich is kind of a little bit over the hill at this point, but Yelich, Adamas, once he comes back, I just think he's in a good spot. And I think he was overlooked for so long. And he's been performing since he started playing. I'm going to pull up his game log since he got the starting job. Yeah, since May 18th. He's got a 265 average. He's slugging 544, 18 RBIs, 10 runs, five home runs. And so I just think he's solid across the board, hitting in a good lineup, and he's going to play. The Brewers know he's a more talented bat at least most days than Lorenzo Kane at this point, Andrew McCutcheon. I think they're going to keep him in the lineup. I brought up Tyrone Taylor because, number one, Matt brought him up earlier, and I was looking at his roster, and I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting. 12-team league, and he's got him. And based on the numbers he just gave us since May 18th, I mean, the guy's tearing it up. But I think this gives us an interesting opportunity to discuss the keeper rules here and really sink our teeth into a, a tangible example where in this league, you can keep up to nine. Now, Matt, did you draft Tyrone Taylor? No, I just picked him up about a week and a half, two weeks so ago. So, Chad, refresh my memory. Does that mean he's going to cost a last round pick or a second to last round pick? I can't keep the league straight. So in one of the, I, leagues, I'm the same problem. Yeah, I think it's a last round pick. But then if you keep multiple, like it moves up. So if you keep multiple guys you picked up off the wire then you could end up using an earlier pick for him. It should be a late round pick. We'll say that. So Matt, what in your mind right now, are you looking at Tyrone Taylor as a keeper given how much you like him, the upside, the age, the cost, and the fact that we keep nine, not three. So, you know, your ninth keeper could be, he could be a pretty acceptable one. Is that thing, something that's even crossed your radar at this point? And Chad, I'm going to ask you the, the same question basically for your roster. Who are we 
who are we thinking about at this point? So Taylor has crossed my mind. I'm not sold on him completely yet. I want to see how this, I like the talent. I like the upside. I have to see him produce consistently. He's never really had a chance to do that. I really thought I was going to want to keep Brandon Marsh. His power has disappeared. I thought about dropping him this week. He's been struggling a lot. I like Kepler and Hap a lot. I mentioned both of them. I think they're very good players. And Kepler made some changes a couple of years ago. So I'm looking at both of them. Will Smith, maybe. I think he's, I've put out some tweets about him. He's been one of the more unlucky players in baseball. He looks like the best catcher in baseball and just kind of hasn't had the numbers. Hoskins, no. Lindor's been good, but I don't know if he'll be worth it. It took him in like the fifth or sixth or fifth round, I want to say. So that'll be. Yeah, fifth and Chad, I know you're close. you're cooling on Francisco Lindor. Is that still the case? Even though doesn't he lead in runs and RBI right now among all shortstops? Am I off on that? Well, he's also back on like an almost thirty home run pace. So he's just been yeah. he's he's run very hot and cold, and so it's sort of hard to know where he's going to end up when all is said and done. If you got him in the fifth, I think he becomes potentially an interesting yeah. keeper. If I think in a lot of places, people right were, yeah, but yeah. So if he keeps this up, because I was high on him, he'll be kept. Manuel Margot, I think if he can stay healthy for a full year, I think he could be a difference maker. He that breakout looks real. I don't know if it is. What is it about that looks real to you? Um, I was just looking at it the other day. He, well, he's always had speed, and so let me pull up his event page. His exit velocity jumped. And so the barrel rate still being down concerns me, but he's a player that I don't necessarily know if he needs to hit for power. He just needs to hit for average more than anything. And he's always had a lower strikeout rate, but his exit velocity was sitting in like the high 80, 87, 88, I think. And right now it's up over 90. And so it's still a small sample size. Um, I like the launch angle. He's always had around league average sweet spot. I would say, but he can, if he's going to play every day, that's the other thing. That wasn't ever good enough to keep him in the lineup. If he can ever just stay in the lineup, he's so fast that he can steal bases for you on a pretty consistent basis. Low whiff rate, his contact, his zone contact, that was the stat I was looking at the other day. It's up to 87%. And so if he's making harder contact, I think he's another one that's in the fence. I mean, he's on the fence. I don't know if I'm going to keep him or not. But looking at my hitters, I need Correa to come back. And somebody I'm really excited for is J.D. Davis, who I was really low on. I just picked him up a couple weeks ago. I was low on him, but just because of playing time. I think his bat plays. And now with Dom Smith gone, he's going to play more. And so I think I like him. I'm not looking at him as a keeper yet but I like him. J.D. Davis is definitely another Chad guy there. Yeah, I'm a big fan, although so is Dom Smith. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you win some, you lose some. Fair enough. Interesting. I mean, I don't think a lot of leagues are considering, you know, Manny Margot, who I actually like. It's hard to believe he's only 27 years old, right? I mean, he was traded for Craig Kimbrell when he was a highly rated prospect with the Red Sox. So I love this kind of talk. Chad, are there any guys on your roster that you're looking at right now that maybe kind of offbeat keepers because you got a good price or just some guy you're really invested in? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I took I took Alec Thomas late. And this is the league. We have a a minor league portion of the draft, but I did not wait for the minor league portion of the draft to take Alec Thomas. And so I, I would be very surprised if he's not a keeper for me. 
I just think he's a special talent and he's he's already starting to show what he's capable of. And so, yeah, I, I expect he'll be a keeper. I think by the end of the year, Ryan Mountcastle is going to look like a keeper. He's been playing much better. Andreas Jimenez looks like my my long-term shortstop, but maybe I'm wearing my Guardians colored glasses with that one. And then through that pitching, I mean, like Zach Gallen, I already mentioned, I think he's going to be a keeper for me. Aaron Ashby, I think is going to be a keeper for me. Probably David Bednar. I don't love keeping closers, but he just is so good. And if he gets that job without having to share it with Chris Stratton, which eventually should happen, he should be a pretty good low cost keeper for me. I don't know. I have to go back and look at draft costs and some of these guys. Oh, Taylor Ward is the other, right? So Taylor Ward, I picked up as a, a free agent. And, you know, unless this injury proves like super costly, he, you know, falls off the radar because of that. Certainly the way he's hit so far, he's a, he should be a no brainer keeper for a last round pick. Uh, Mackenzie, Mackenzie Gore. That's who I was, I'm keeper hundred percent at this point. He's like the one guy that's locked into next year. Oh, for sure. Now, did you, did you add him off free agency or receive? No, I drafted him. I drafted him 28th round. So oh, right before year. the prospect draft, that is a slam. Yeah. And true to your cause, I'm looking at your last pick in the prospect draft, Taj Bradley. Yeah. Chad, were there any other other names on that roster that you were looking at, or does that pretty much sum it up at this early point in the season? I think that's pretty much it at this early point. I mean, it's I haven't really spent a lot of time. I think you were saying this before, Pete. Like, I haven't spent a lot of time yet thinking about who my keepers are going to be. Right. It's just not something that like I use a lot of mind space for right now because I'm focused on, especially in this league, where like my team is the definition of middling right now. I am 44, 44, and two. It's like exactly 500. I'm pretty close to even this week, but that puts me in eighth place and I would really like to make the playoffs. <laughs> and so my focus there, like I'm not worried about keeper values at the moment. I'll, I'll get to that point eventually. Yeah, you're just like me. Like That's why I was excited to talk about this when I put it in the notes because I had not thought about it at I almost forgot it was a keeper league. Like I, It has not even crossed my mind, and I'm looking at my situation, and it's, I'm going to have a really interesting situation where if I want to keep Aaron Judge, he's going to be a first-round pick because I was so high on Aaron Judge going into the season that I took him in the second round ahead of Jordan Alvarez, ahead of you know Wander Franco, Freddie Freeman. I was all in on Aaron Judge this year which is great and it's worked out great, but now he's going to cost me a first round pick. Maybe I could have waited. Some of the names I have that stick out, Austin Hayes would cost me a 22nd to keep. I, I drafted him in the 23rd. I mentioned earlier that I have Kyle Wright. I think at this point, he's a slam dunk keeper, assuming he stays in the field. Chad, a guy you and I have loved since we started the show 63 episodes ago is Jeff McNeil, who I took in the 27th round and has performed well. One. And then in the classic stash, the injury stash, I don't think I was the guy who got Glasnow, but I was the guy who got Lance McCullers. So Matt pointed at himself. Are you the Glasnow guy? I have Glasnow. Yeah, yes. I think he's going to be a, a keeper for you. But I yeah. did get my hands dirty. I got myself some Lance McCullers. So hopefully the elbow holds up and, and he's going to be a keeper for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking back now at the draft What about, what about Andrew Vaughn? Andrew Vaughn, yeah, but I, I think I drafted him pretty high. I think I even remember talking about that on Discord with Chad where I was like excited to get him, but I felt like I paid a, a, a premium to get him. I 15? Oh, uh, yeah, and then at 15, yeah, he's going to be a keeper. And now that I know because of expected WRC plus how legit this is, I am <laughs> definitely going to be keeping Andrew Vaughn. Chad, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just saying, I'm looking back at the draft now. 
And I'm annoyed with myself because I, I apparently took Corey Kluber in the 23rd round and then let him go at some point because he's not on my roster now. <laughs> and a 21st round Kluber feels like a pretty solid keeper the way he's pitching so far. And so I'm annoyed by that one. The other guys, like some of these guys I took earlier than I thought. And so I'm actually a little concerned about, you know, where do all my keepers come from? Because like, you know, Frankie Montas, I took in the seventh as a fifth round pick. That could work out. You know, Cabrian Hayes, I took in the ninth. Giancarlo Stanton in the eighth. The 10th was Willie Adamas. He could play his way into an eighth round pick. I mentioned Mountcastle before and feeling pretty good about him as a keeper, but I took him in the 11th. As a ninth round pick, it's sort of borderline, I think. So I I, I got to take a look and sort of poke around and see. My, my late picks, who I thought would be keepers, have have not really panned out very well. Like, you know, I, I was buying it in the Mitch Keller hype. That has been a disaster. <laughs> my, you know, Partially Mike Ostremski. Mike Yastrzemski in the 26th round could be worth a 24th round pick. He's been he's been pretty good. I thought Gene Segura would be, have a good year, and he has, but then he got hurt, and so he's not even on my team anymore. You know I've been high in Carson Kelly, so I took him, but he's been terrible. Then Kluber, Belt, who is hurt again. Anthony Disclefani, who's hurt again. And then I get like Alec Thomas, Aaron Ashby, Bednar, Gallen. Like, I think that's where my keepers are going to come from is these like middle round picks rather than my late picks, as well as potentially some of my free agent pickups. So I'm, you know, I mentioned um, I picked up Juan Yepes, so we'll see if he can get going again. He started off so well and has really cooled off. I also picked up there was someone else I picked up who I, who I was excited about, and now I can't remember. I know I mentioned you said you had Ward, right? Yeah, Taylor Ward, right, right. Taylor Ward, who I picked up, and like, so I feel pretty good about them. The other thing this is sort of becomes an interesting question for me with is. Like my one of my drafted my minor league drafted players is Nick Lodolo. And I I intended to keep those guys stashed this year because you could they basically become bonus keepers for you, right? You don't pay a keeper cost for them if they stay stashed. But if I don't think I'm gonna have a full nine keepers, which I may not it may increase the likelihood that at some point I call him up once he's back and healthy. Cause I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think he could help my team this year. And I was willing to sit and just wait it out and, and get the bonus keeper for next year. But maybe not, maybe there's no reason to wait on that. If he's, if, if he's going to be my ninth keeper anyways, I might as well take advantage. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, and that is just another angle that you actually don't have to keep up to nine, which I like. Well, folks, that's taken us up to that that one hour mark. We're right around there. We're just over an hour. I want to encourage you to please, if you're not already, what are you doing? Please follow Matt on Twitter at Heckman underscore Matt 115. That's at H-E-C-K-M-A-N underscore Matt 115. He's writing for fan tracks. He's writing for prospects worldwide. He's throwing good stuff out there like XWRC+. I think that's going to do it for episode 63. Matt, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was awesome. Of course. Well, folks, uh, also follow me at at PP Baseball. Follow Chad at at Chad Young. And definitely follow the show at at Keep or Cut. We got a little bit of a weird schedule coming up. But correct me if I'm wrong. I think we're still going to have one next Monday, right? I think Maybe. so. Yeah, we, we got we to find time to record around a bunch of travel. But I think we're going to have this one. We're recording this on Tuesday, J- June 7th. It should come out on the 13th. We should have another one on the 20th. And then I think we're probably going to go dark for the 27th and be back with everyone for 
Independence Day. Yeah. All right. And you know that week that we miss is going to be like the craziest week in baseball. We're going to get like nine no-hitters and a five-home run game, but that's okay. We'll talk about it when we get back. Thanks for listening, folks. We will see you next week. We'll be right back.